welcome back to the What The Folk Sunderland preview show. Sunderland's season just keeps getting better and better as back-to-back wins against QPR and Redden see us rise up to the heady heights of fifth in the championship. And another three points this Saturday will see Sunderland's accidental playoff hopes increase even further as we face Bristol City at the Stadium of Light. We've beaten them once this season, but things have changed and Nigel Pearson's informed Robins could be a far sterner test this weekend than they were previously. Um, but to let us know on exactly what we can expect is the wonderful David, who we've had a good chat with sort of five minutes before the podcast, which hasn't been recorded, sadly, but um, from Bristol City podcast, Forever Bristol City. David, we've had a good chat, mate. How are you doing? Are you OK? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Well, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, so I'm looking forward to our game tonight against the uh, lowly but fast-improving Wigan Athletic. Yeah? And like you, we're we're the form teams of the division, but we're slightly better because we're a 3-3-0 in the last six, and you're a 3-2-1. Same goal, diff- goal scored, goals conceded, and, uh, you know, you've won your last two games, which I noticed, but so have we. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you're not doing too bad. And I think, as you said before, we're speaking before you game with, with Wigan, which is at home this evening. So at the time we're speaking, you're on a run of nine games without defeating all competitions, winning, I think, three of your last three, um, and a really impressive one in the Cup as well, something along that line. My stats yeah. have never been perfect, but I try my best. Um, I think it was a fair old struggle at the start of Bristol City, and I kind of, because Nigel Pearson was there, and we'll get into him further, I kind of kept a close eye because obviously he's a bit of a more mate manager. But um, you seem to have really sorted your form out. So, so what have the past few months been like for Bristol City and, and why has it improved? Well, well, yeah, let's talk. I mean, it's, it's two years ago this week we got gubbed 6-0 by Watford, which was Dean Holden, who's doing a decent job at uh, Charlton now. That ended with his demise. And Nigel came in and inherited, inherited a financial mess. Mm. An absolute financial mess. And it would be true to say that, you know, it was getting pretty desperate. I mean, ever since 2017-18 season, it's not been great. And we've had we've we've done okay away from home, but home form has been awful. And then what's happened literally in the last, I'll say it's not even two months, but he struck on a formation that has led to a turnaround. Now, we started this season really well. We went eight games undefeated and then the Queen passed away and we had that weekend off and then it all went to ratchet after that. And he was, you know, we're patient with managers down here. We lost to Stoke and West Brom round about Christmas, Boxing Day time, and it was looking good. And he said he's at his weakest. And on our podcast, certain of our members were saying he's... He's not going to take us forward. He's dining out on his success at Leicester, but his win percentage was less than 30%. But second half, I think it was against uh, Swansea in the Cup, we reverted to 4-4-2. And as you've said, with our results, uh, nine games undefeated, playing with a pattern of play and an identity. And, you know, long long may it continue. Yeah, because absolutely it has improved. And I've got to be honest, I haven't seen the team play 4-4-2 since Leicester won the Premier League, shall we say. It's very <laughs> much changed. But, but I mean, sometimes it's hard to sum up why it has changed. You can see the formations change and you can see the results have changed. But if, if you can, with the formation change, what has that given you to make the results change and the performances on the pitch change? What, what personnel have changed or anything like that? Well, what's it given us? I think it's playing players in... Round uh, players, yeah, round pegs in round holes. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the back four now, it's a very young back four. George Tanner, Man United Academy, signed from Carlisle, 
wasn't really up to championship football when he joined us last season. And he was a he is a right back, not a wing back. Yeah, he's a right back, and he's playing in his right position now. This season, over the last fifteen months or so, you know, we've even had Andy what Andy Vyman playing as a right wing back. Alex Scott, you know, our uh, highly uh, valued asset, he's played at right wing back. But you know, so we've got that position secure now. And over on the other side, uh, Cam Pring, again, a product of the academy or a product of the academy. He's got his fitness levels right. I mean, Nigel is good with the tough love sometimes. And to the extent that uh, Atkinson, he signed from Oxford United, he was not showing the commitment to the extent that Nigel put Atkinson out of the team only three months ago, this was, and brought in his old stalwart from Leicester, Andy King, at centre-half. Andy King entered centre-half. But what he's done, he's instilled something that has been lacking for a very long time, you know, which is we were a soft touch and we're starting to get a little bit mean now, yeah? So I think it's playing players in their right positions, yeah? Naki Wells, he's 33 in the summer. He signed a contract extension and he's been great with some of the youngsters. Okay, he's not scored in, uh, he scored one in his last eight, but his level of commitment on there. It was something that was lacking and it was looking desperate in September, October, late September, October, November, right up to Christmas. We're thinking, here we go. You know, this ain't going to be a great season. He's turned it around. Pearson's a funny one as well, because I remember that home form we went on. I want to say it was like a year or something, or maybe longer that you hadn't won a game at home. And I remember... I think you played someone like Norwich or something and you were just about to win and concede in the last minute. And I remember keeping an eye on that because I thought, well, yeah. that's a, a baffling run. And, but but I think Pearson is, I said Marmite before, and I think he is. I think, you know, he was linked with Sunderland when we win League One, when kind of Parkinson came in. And God, I hate to remind anyone of that, but nonetheless. Um, and I think he is quite Marmite because he has had success at clubs. He had a, a good spell at Leicester. He's had good spells elsewhere. I think when he got sacked at Watford, people thought it was unfair. He's been at Bristol City quite a while now. We had that horrible home run of form. He's had this good run of form now. He's been there a decent amount of time, though, which is not what you can say about a lot of championship managers. What are the general opinions of him in the Bristol City fan base? I know we can't really speak about everyone's opinion, but the general consensus, is he kind of turning the tide if he was maybe not impressing originally? I, I would say a bit like we were talking about Lee Johnson before we started recording. He was a little bit Marmite, yeah? He seemed stuck in his ways, you know? When he signed Andy King, this was in his first close season, so not last summer, the summer before. He signed Andy King, Danny Simpson and uh, and Matty James. And he was bringing people in that he knew. And Simpson was an absolute disaster. And King wasn't really fit, but James has done okay. And they've been strong influences in the dressing room. But back to what people think about him, you know, it was why are we playing with a with three centre backs when clearly we haven't got the personnel for wing backs to be effective. Yeah. Um it it we people were thinking he's stuck in his ways and we were looking at his win percentage. You know, his win percentage since he left Leicester. You're right what you say about Watford. I think he was harshly treated there, but his win percentage since he left Leicester. Ain't good. And yeah, I had a Derby County fan say as soon as he saw we got him, he said, Oh, you'll be regretting that. And he fell out with I think it was player power at Derby. But 
He has his own unique style. He's an old school manager. He's 58. He's the third longest serving manager in the championship and he completes two years service next week. He's assisted by uh, Curtis Fleming, uh, who spent a lot of time with Borough and uh, also another uh, chap who people remember from maybe 15, 20 years ago, Jason Yule, who was a forward. He brought his physio from... Leicester, uh, Dave Rennie, not to be confused with the former midfielder of, uh, of that name. Um, and he's done it slowly. And in football, generally these days, you don't get time. And we've got a chairman that on some occasions has given managers too long, but he's brought in a proper manager. And, you know, we might be saying a different story. And, to, you know, this is what this division is like. We could lose to Wigan, lose to you guys. And we're looking over our shoulder again not up the table, yeah? So he's he's winning people round because he doesn't bullshit in his press conferences. He's not told, he's not called anybody an ostrich yet. And <laughs> he treats some of the local journos with a level of disdain. But if you ask stupid questions, you're going to get, not stupid, you're going to get a, a typical Nigel Pearson answer. Yeah, he's pretty, I think he's pretty down the line. And like I say, when we'll talk about more, I think people, some people quite like that about him. Um, in terms of Bristol City as a club, you touched before on like the financial issues, and I think you only have to look through the transfers you made this summer and this January to see that yeah. it's loan moves and free transfers. Um, so he's working in a market that is not necessarily, shall we say, uh, he can't just pick the players he wants and go sign them. Uh, that's not that's not going to work. Obviously, uh, a little bit hamstrung by the financials of it. So I think... A few people have asked me when I've been on podcasts, what was Sunderland's expectations? And I'm like, well, 15th was fine. And all of a sudden they've been lifted by what's happened and what's gone on. But when you've got that kind of issue with money and you know you can't bring in players for three, five million or, you know, you can't just spend the money you want to spend, does that that does change expectations. So, so what were Bristol City's expectations coming into the season? And most importantly, are you reaching them? Well, I think... Everybody's expectation coming into the season was, dare I say it, survival. Yeah. And one thing that Nigel Pearson has succeeded in doing is lowering everybody's expectation. Because if you go back to 2017 18 season, we started off that season like a train. We beat Man United in the Carabao and Man City, uh, gave them a good game over two, two legs, two good games rather. Um, we kept falling away. We were kept falling away and we got into financial problems. I mean, this year we're okay for financial fair play. We should be, but we're probably more worried about 23, 24 for financial play, fair play because our losses, two years ago it was 38 million, previous year 28 million, and the year we're in now, it's still going to be 20 million. Yeah, now... Selling Semenya, which will be in this year's books, and probably Alex Scott in the summer, I think we're going to be okay in that. But if you just said to people at the start of the season, expectations, 14th to 17th without a relegation fight. fight. And now we're looking up, but just being a realistic, last 16 games, it's got to be something like 10 to 4, yeah? And as one of my colleagues on the podcast said, but winning 10... Is like you know as many as we've won all season after thirty games. Now, if you pick the four that we were going to lose between now and the end of the season, it'd probably be you guys, Burnley at home, Sheffield United, Watford away. Right? Well, those are the four losses. But that means the other twelve games, we got to win 
you've got to win 10 and draw two. And that's to get to 71 points. Yeah. Will that be enough this year? I think because two clubs are streaking ahead at the top. That's why there's a lot of bunching in the division. You, you touch on Semenyo there. Um, really interesting, I thought, Semenyo, because I'll be completely honest, he was completely un- unmemorable at Sunderland and then COVID hit. <laughs> so I think he came on for 20 minutes here and there. Looked like he did absolutely nout. Came in in a really awful period for us. Didn't really do anything at all. COVID hit, we never see him again. Two, three yeah. years later, you see what he's like for Bristol City and he's like, Star of the show, but you know, going back, I, I remember when we first got Lee Johnson, who we are going to come on to. Don't worry, everyone, we are going to come on to that. Um, when I was speaking to um, it was one of the, the Bristol City journalists, Gregor, about you know, Johnson and in the seasons he's had, they said a lot of the time, you know, you were used to selling a player for a, a big amount of money, reinvesting yeah. that way you could, and so on and so forth. So you're not completely not used to selling your better players for, for big fees, but. It's still never nice. Um, I feel unfortunately Sunderland might get used to have to get used to that at some point. Um, but how does his loss actually affect you? And, and what did the fan base make of the move when he went? Because it's big money for a player that is realistically doing well, but well, you talk you're talking about Semenya specifically. And look, when we talk about big we had a business model. Let's just wind it back a little bit. We had a business model that was based on, as you've just said, developing players and selling them on. Now, you know. We, we we had players like Flint, Brian and Reed, who were the stalwarts of that side that were doing really well 2017-18. And in that summer, when we sold them, right, we went out and we bought Adam Webster. And then Adam Webster, we sold a year later for $25 million. So we did have one year where we did make profits, right? But COVID screwed everything up, yeah? Not only for us, but for lots of clubs. But we were a club that... We're trying to say, look, but we would have made, all, we wouldn't have lost all this money. Well, yeah, you can't really run a business and say, well, we wouldn't have lost money if we'd have done those sales. It didn't happen, and we're not the only club that's been affected by football. Now, in terms of Semenyo, start of last season, he was out injured. He came back in, and you're right. I mean, from November 21 through till the end of last season. He was great. Got 10 goals. Yeah, I mean, the forwards, we were prolific with goal scoring. Three forwards scored 50 goals between them and they contributed two-thirds of the assists, right? And that was what was called WSM, Wyman, Semenyo, Martin, Chris Martin, that is, who's who's gone. Um, Semenyo then missed the very tail end of the season with an injury. I think he went away with Ghana. And then he missed the start of this season, but then he was well enough to go to the World Cup. And then he came back after the World Cup and he scored a few goals. But getting 10 million, is it for him? Is it 10 million with add-ons? When you look at some of the youngsters that we've got coming through, like Tommy Conway, like Sam Bell, who probably won't play on Saturday. Uh, We'll talk more about the formation Saturday. We we needed to sell Semenyo. Um, and we've got money. He's probably increased his wages by a factor of four, but he'll be playing championship football for Bournemouth next season. Yeah. And so he was a good player, right? But was he a player that was going to make the difference between us making a promotion late playoff challenge and not? On his day, yes, but snatched at the ball too many times. Difficult to manage, difficult to play against, I would imagine. But if we've got 10 million, that's decent. And I didn't shed any 
tears of him leaving, neither would I say I'd have driven him down to Bournemouth either. Yeah. So ten mil was a good was a good sum. I remind myself that he played for us at one point, so it tells you what my Yeah, he did. Was. He did, yeah. Yeah. He's a nice lad as well. He you know, he is a nice he is a nice lad and uh, he was always he was always gonna go. I mean he was out of contract net we could exercise a year's option on him uh, this summer. So if we hadn't got rid of him now, his value wouldn't have mm. increased between now and July anyway. Yeah. So good good move all round for everybody. You touched on sort of youngsters there. Adam Webster was one, obviously. I remember that's obviously doing really, really well for Brighton now as well. But you touched on Alex Scott there. He's a player that I'm continuously seeing sort of pop up. So I did a bit of research on him beforehand. Came from Guernsey. Um, don't see many players coming from Guernsey. What's his story and how good can he be? Well, Guernsey is a funny club, actually. I mean, I had a mate of mine about five years ago, longer than that. Guernsey haven't got our chairman's money, but our chairman lives in Guernsey, right? And we've got some connection there. And I think their players fly over to play for them. And he put a bet on it. I think it was 10,000 to one that they were going to go from tier seven in the football league to get up to like, you know, league two. And it's never happened for them. So we have a presence in Guernsey and he's come over from there. And he's not the only one. There's another lad who's come across from there. So, but you know he's he, he's playing. He's played for the England under 19s He was a member of the World Cup squad for them. And the thing about Alex is that he's getting minutes on the pitch in probably the most competitive league in Europe. Yeah, for below the top, well, the most competitive second tier in Europe. He's got minutes on the pitch, and all of his teammates in England under 19 they are not getting those minutes on the pitch. You know, and he's accumulated. It's going to go past 60 if it hasn't done already in terms of league appearances. And he is the Guernsey Grealish, some fans are calling him. And he has games that are in and out. He played 20 games at right wing back last season. And he didn't disgrace himself there. And some of the stuff that he's done recently, and I know people were making a big thing about um, the pass that he did that set up the winning goal against Preston uh, the week before last. But it was the little intricate play and then the pass. He's talented and, you know, there's going to be a bidding war for him in the summer. Yeah, uh, he he's probably not going to play tonight because he's one booking off getting a suspension. So we might be saving him for, for you. But he has, he has, it's like a lot of young players. He'll have a great game. He's not prolific in front of goal, but, you know, he can have the occasional quiet game as well. But he's going to go, I would say, for north of 20 million, which again is going to put us right financially. And, you know, we got another lad coming through. we got three of our academy after 20 years. has got a conveyor belt now, which is great to see. But uh, if he does play, he could be the difference between winning and not. not yeah. Winning. <laughs> Still just 19 years old as well, which is... And it is, it's one of those players that, not just because I've done the research, because we're obviously doing the show, like his name does keep sort of popping up, but... Um, one person I didn't have to do a great amount of research on is uh, someone that I promised we would come into. So we talked about Nigel Pearson before, and obviously sounds a, a small period where Dean Holden was in charge. Yeah. The man before him was, of course, Lee Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about Marmite. I, I don't like to speak on the behalf of the Sunderland fan base, but I would like to say I think he was quite Marmite because you'll get two very different opinions in the, the Sunderland fan base of the job Lee Johnson done. I won't bore 
people who listen to my podcast with my opinion. I think you all know what it is. But I'm I'm really curious because it's the first time I've had a Bristol City fan on as opposed to a journalist of what the genuine thoughts were with Lee Johnson in terms of A, what were your thoughts and B, how did he, how was he thought about in Bristol City's history, I suppose now, because he's been away three, four years. So how, how has he gone down and what are your thoughts okay. on him personally? Um, well, the thing is, I mean, interestingly, his dad has just been voted into the Hall of Fame. I think he's being presented with it tonight. And he had him. He had his boy playing for him at Yeovil, and he came to us and we signed him. Now, the thing is with Lee Johnson as a player, he's a good player, but his dad was manager of him in probably 400 of the 450 games he played at the highest level. And he was OK. He was OK. No more than that. Um, but my abiding memory is that Again, this was 2007-8 when we were beaten in the playoff final by a Dean Windass Thunderbolt. And we had a player cry off on the morning with a stomach complaint, but that was fine. And then we lost um, Bradley Orr. And rather than bring on a lone player we had called Thomas Vasco and play him at centre-half and put Lewis Carey at right back, no, his dad brought Lee Johnson on and took Marvin Elliott out of the midfield. And Marvin Elliott had never played fullback other than for Millwall a few years ago. And I think that was, you know, I've got two daughters, right? So I've never had a son to, to push and want to play. But so when he, when he left, you know, and his dad went and what have you, right, fine. But his Bristol City was the only championship club that would have given him a job based on his track record in management at Oldham and at Barnsley because he was known as Streaky Lee at Barnsley and God was he known as Streaky Lee with us and with you and with and with and with where is it Hibs even now isn't it yeah and he's a lovely guy I think he lacks a bit of self-awareness you know it's Jamie McAllister who's his number two decent bloke as well you know, they're good, they're good guys, yeah, but Marmite is the absolute right word to uh, describe him. And uh, that 2017-18 season, he hit on a formation. You know, the first half of that season, you know, he'd signed for Mara Deju in the summer, another player who left for no money. Talk about players leaving for no money in a second. But he signed for Mara, and for Mara was injured, I think. So he didn't play with a recognised target man. And we had that great first half of the season. Following season, first half, we didn't do too bad either. But again, he happens, he, he paid too much respect to the opposition sometimes. He overthinks it. He's too complicated. Yeah, I don't know if that's what you guys think up there. Uh, I put it this way, I don't like Marmite. Um, I think that kind of sums up my thoughts. But um I'll tell you what's quite interesting as well, because I think Bristol City were a vastly different club. So I don't know if you can answer this. I think they're a different club based on everything we just spoke about before from maybe where you were when Lee Johnson was there, but do you think you're in a better place and you've progressed since he's left? That's a very good question. Um, I think Lee Johnson, unfettered by a chief executive who is now in a similar role at Ipswich Town, Mark Ashton, um, we used to collect players for no real reason. And then we put them out on loan. Typical example would be people like Mo Issa, uh, who's around about the place. Just We used to get players, and they were never players that were improving the squad. 
Yeah. Again, 2017-18 season. He went out and got a kiddie from, uh, I think it was Everton, Liam Walsh, youngster. Hasn't really cut it. Luke Donny on loan from some club. But Mark Ashton was, I refer to him as almost like the Rasputin. He, he did a lot of good things, yeah. But I wonder whether all the signings that we made uh, were entirely with Lee's sanctioning and approval. So a Lee Johnson without Mark Ashton in the background, I think, would have been very different. And if you look at Ipswich Town, didn't go up last season, but look at how many players they've signed, yeah? You know, in all the windows, they're out there getting players. And Ashton left. Um, we had Richard Gould as chief executive, who was, you know, masterful guy, lovely bloke as well. He's gone on to do the ECB. And now we've got in as chief executive, uh, Phil Alexander, who was Premier League chief exec of the year last year, steady. Mark Ashton, so say, used to play for West Brom, appearances zero. Look at his LinkedIn profile. Uh, he didn't help Lee, in my opinion, right? So in answer to the question, I think we're good with Nigel Pearson now, but... You know, it took them six weeks to appoint Dean Holden, for goodness sake, in that, that that COVID summer. Because going into COVID, we still had an outside chance of the playoffs then. Then Lee came back, lost four in a row, and he got binned off. And we were linked with the likes of Chris Hewton and various other people. And then uh, we signed Dean Holden because, to quote the chief executive, Mr Ashton, he was a nice human. And if there's one thing about Dean Holden, he is a nice human and a lovely bloke. You know, and everybody wishes him well, a charm athletic. So would we be in a better place? Um, well, it's only in the last eight weeks that we've sort of started to turn it around a bit. So I don't I don't know that. I don't know. I was gonna say, I don't know whether I was chucking a, a really unfair question on you, and I think in hindsight <laughs> I probably I probably was. Um I think Sunderland have for what it's worth. Um, but again, another big conversation and reasons why behind that. But um on the subject of Sunderland, obviously our win over Bristol City felt like really seminal because we'd had those sort of four years in League One where you were just thinking, Are we even good enough to get out of it? We got out of it. Then our first win was against Bristol City, a good, solid championship team that you yeah. would hope you could get something from. We've been there for a lot of years. We went there, scored three goals, played well, and, and did what we do. And our season's obviously gone from strength to strength since that, despite the things that have been thrown at us. Um, obviously, it was a good performance from us that day, and I know that Ross scored and he's out for the season, and Ella Sims scored twice and he's obviously been recalled. But yeah. from your memories of that day, what, what did you make of Sunderland's team? What did you make of players? Was there anyone that stuck out? Well, I've got I've got a few friends at Sunderland uh, supporters, yeah, and I said that um, I thought you'd be good just because you've got impetus, you know, you've got the crowds, and you know you don't have to have big crowds to, you know, you nobody deserves to be in the top flight. And I watched with interest your Sunderland till I die documentaries, all of it, yeah. I mean, you know, it was great entertainment, yeah. Um, and you beat us. I think what you got to bear in mind when you beat us that we were playing in that formation that I said we don't like. We had Cal Naismith playing as a central defender. And, you know, he's that he can play in lots of positions. But we, and we tried to play it out from the back. We're still doing that now. But I think we gave you two... Certainly, he was responsible for one goal, being caught in possession. I said to my Sunderland friend, friend friends maybe, 
I said, I think you got a good chance of getting top six because you're a big club coming into the, the division. Yeah, and you had impetus, you know, and uh, as, as you say, you, well, you changed your manager, but that, that was a strange one. Was it Neil leaving to, to, to go to Stoke? Baffling as yeah. an outsider looking in. A little bit. It's worked out in our favour, which I'm delighted with. But um, it's interesting because you, I didn't really think about that Bristol City game outside of how probably important it was for us as a fan base because it's like that cleansing of, oh God, we can compete at a high level that we haven't been at in four or five years. And, and obviously our season's going from strength to strength and it's gone really, really well. But in context, Alex Neal was the manager then. Our two strikers won't be playing. It's probably quite a difficult one to judge and you probably can't take anything from it because both sides are really different and the situation's different. But nonetheless, I'm going to ask you for a prediction, as I always do. Um, I got one right two weeks ago. I think I've got three right. So I normally say I'm terrible. I'm doing all right this season. Um, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel really, really confident. Not that I don't respect the team that we're playing. I just feel like this season, everything's coming up Millhouse, to quote a, a Simpsons phrase, um, and everything's coming up roses. But... I think it'll be tight. I think it's a really difficult game based on the form that you have. Obviously, um, Pearson is going to make sure you side her up for it, but I fancy us to nick it in a really tight game, 1-0. But I never get my predictions right, so maybe you will, David. Okay, um, what do I think? Uh, <laughs> I mean, if we keep the win going, it'll be 10 without defeat. Um, I think we've only won... We won the last time we played at your ground, which was early 2017-18 season, but lots changed mm -hmm. since then. Uh, I would willingly take a point now, yeah? If we lose, I think I already said, it's one of the four games that, okay, it's against a valid playoff contender. It wouldn't be a disaster. But if we... I would take a point now. And if we win... We then got Hull City at home and then the, uh, the cup game against Man City and Cardiff away. But if we can keep this unbeaten run going, then we're, we're going to be knocking on the door of sixth place. So my score prediction, I love it, as Kevin Keegan once said, I really love it if we get a 1-1 draw against them. Unbeknown to anyone who listens to this podcast and, and probably unbe unbeknown to you as well, but... Obviously, before I ever have a guest on, I do like to have a little listen to the podcast and yours is fab. Really good laugh. Enjoyed it. Uh, really good chat. But where can we find it if people want to listen to it? Because I'm finding an increasing amount of Sunderland supporters and myself included enjoy listening to the Monday shows from the respective opposition okay. podcasts. Well, to listen to us, we're on Twitter. On Twitter, we're Forever Bristol One. That's our Twitter handle. It's called Forever Bristol City Podcast. It's on Podbean. Spotify and all the rest of it. We'll be doing a live recording of the podcast at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. So that'll be our review of the game. And then it'll be on Podbean, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, from lunchtime on Sunday. So give us a listen. You know, we have a laugh. We've got a mate of mine on there uh, called Ian. He's got, uh, there's, a, there's a thread on our forum at the moment that says, Ian Gay knows absolutely nothing about football, you know, and it's got five pages of comments, right? He's, he's, he's staying at my house tonight. Uh, and uh, we're going to call him Millwall now. No one likes him. He don't care, yeah? But if you listen to you listen to Forever Bristol City podcast or Forever Bristol One for the link on Twitter, uh, Ian's the man on there. We've got another guy who comes on who's head of the local police force homicide squad. 
Yeah. All right. So he brings an interesting perspective. Uh, <laughs> his boy's going to be coming on for our Wigan uh, um, review, which we're, we're doing that tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. So, yeah, we love it, as I'm sure you do. It's, we do it for the crack, don't we, really? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, that's all we do it for. Good but um, David, lovely like meeting you and lovely uh, having a chat. And hopefully, from my, from my perspective, no offense, but I wish you no luck on Saturday. But all the luck after that. It's been a pleasure. It's all right, on. thank you very much.